This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from comedian Lee Camp, The Jimmy Dore Show, Jim Hightower, The Young Turks, J.A. Meyerson reporting for Citizen Radio, The Progressive, The Tom Hartman Program, and The Rachel Maddow Show, with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Young Turks. And the first clip of today does contain profanity. This is your moment of clarity from LeeCamp.net. So many people are concerned with bringing our men and women home from Afghanistan, but the truth is, as we saw in the past few days, we have a war going on right here at home, a war pitting American against American, an all-or-nothing battle royale, and that war is for discount goods at Walmart and Best Buy, Toys R Us and Macy's, people getting shot and pepper sprayed, trampled and molested, pummeled and arrested. But unlike Afghanistan, our objectives in this war are clear. Those objectives are to get that plastic or metal made in China trinket or bobble or video game before someone else does. Fuck them and their ugly ass kid and their ugly ass kid's Christmas wishes. That plastic thing belongs to me. Take no prisoners, no holds barred. The Geneva Convention can suck a fat one because it does not apply at a Best Buy. And besides, if that kid really wanted to have a happy Christmas, really wanted to have a happy Christmas, then she should have taught her grandma to punch harder. It's her own goddamn fault. Why would we want to bring our troops home to this shitstorm? We should leave them in Afghanistan where it's safe. And let's not forget, we owe them a thank you for fighting for our freedom to beat the living shit out of each other in order to grab the last Justin Bieber action figure complete with paternity test and real hair shorn off the chaste buttocks of a Malaysian boy. They fight for our right to value that figurine over all else, so let's not let them down, alright? But I don't act like that's the only thing we'll stand up for in this country. I know and you know that's not true. We also stand up to defend a football coach who protects a child rapist. That's right, we'll riot on behalf of Joe Paterno because whether he was harboring a child molester or not on his team, it doesn't matter. He bloody well knew when to call a button hook play and in the scope of things, isn't that what really matters in judging a human's worth? So with the holiday season of caring and giving now upon us, let's remember what Patrick Henry once said. He said, give me Xbox, or give me death. And as police shake up their pepper spray canisters in order to hose down peaceful protesters in Los Angeles and New York and elsewhere, and, 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 and suburban moms shake up their pepper spray in order to hose down an elderly woman at a Macy's with her leather claws wrapped around the last Malaysian boy hair beaver, we know the American spirit is alive and well. And that spirit is... Holy shit, you gotta see this! Look what these freaks are doing now! So sit back and enjoy the show.
We're going to talk. We go. We go back uh, to the UC Davis pepper spray incident where the police uh, violently overreacted to peaceful protesters, mm-hmm. um, and the, and a scene that was called horrific by the chancellor who ordered the police in. So uh, everyone seems to agree when you watch that video. It kind of shocks the conscience. And uh, pe- I always thought they were just seasoning the guys. I thought they were just like you know flavoring them for the for the and they just never ate them. Oh, I see, I see what you're saying that they were they were under seasoned. Yes. Yes. Okay. So uh, it's yes. like at Kent State when they threw paprika all over the, uh, <laughs> the protesters. <laughs> With uh, and then in Mississippi the next week it was cinnamon. Yes. <laughs> yes. People forget about the next week Mississippi mm. killed five. Uh, kids too on the week after Kent State. Yes, oh, people forget yeah. about the, Kent State gets all the mm. attention. Uh, they had a good publicist. They really was did. it five or three? Was it the Schwerner, Goodman, you know Cheney, or I'm not sh- I'm not sure how many people were killed in Mississippi, but they did kill more students the yeah. next week in Mississippi. Wow. So Kent State is the Michael Jackson, and Mississippi is the. Uh, Farrah uh, Fawcett. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Farrah, right. Yeah. I guess so. Mm-hmm. Farrah Fawcett. You're talking about celebrity deaths. As sure. Yeah. That happened at the same time. They happened like within 24 hours of each other and no one. Oh. Has, and you know who was, uh, uh, died the same day that Kennedy was shot was Aldous Huxley. Oh, no, wow. Yeah, yeah. Brave New World. Yeah. Aldous he, Huxley. You no, know, he must have been pissed. Shot too? <laughs> was he shot too? <laughs> no, he. All right, let's move on. <laughs> so we're going to get to this week's Oh My God. And uh, I was watching the Sean Hannity, and he was interviewing a few people, and they were talking about the pepper spray and if they thought it was an overreaction or not, which, you know, you, most shows just talk about how bad of an overreaction it was. Mm-hmm. They're actually it's still up for debate on the Sean Hannity <laughs> sure. show. And here's what Sean had to say. No, but in all seriousness, that's a lot of pepper spray. Yeah. It was a lot of pepper spray. All right, did they cross the line? I don't think so. I didn't see what happened before then, but it does look like an, an un, uh, unruly dosage. I've read that spray. they were provoked, and the sad part is we only have a clip, and that's what happens when you only yeah, get a clip. That's a good point. That's, yes, yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. If, if you're into fetishizing punishment, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah I can't, you know, I read somewhere. He said he read somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I read somewhere that they were provoked. Uh, that, that, yeah, that's my favorite type of journalism is vague recollection <laughs> school of journalism. You know, there's a vivid videotape of what happened, but yeah. I read somewhere yeah. that it might have been different from that. I mean, and when you might have read something somewhere, that yeah. takes precedence over the tape. Very, very much so. Over uh, the vivid, I like that's a pretty good word, vivid videotape, which kind of the... Mm. For uh, a second, I thought you were talking about porn. Me, for a second, I was. and uh, They still make a quality product. The vivid know. videotape, which got me in and trouble with only, my mom. The only provoking they're all sitting down so the only provoking is like the, were the kids being sarcastic with them were they like saying nah 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 nah, nah? what you know they were sitting peacefully in an aggressive manner Frank uh, yes that's the everyone if, Frank you don't know much about snakes but they recoil first in a sitting position mm-hmm. and then jack and then they jump at and you and that's where liberals are are snakes yeah liberals are little snakes right. sitting they were aggressively uh, hunching their shoulders and bowing their heads it was the silent judgment that the, yeah. the police felt <laughs> yeah. they were defending themselves from the silent judgment <laughs> yes that's that's where that's what it well, was. Well, there was one time one of the officers looked at the kids and one of the kids, and then the kid didn't meet his eye, and it was like really awkward. Really <laughs> pissed, and so they He was provoked. Yeah. Let's hear this guy one more time. I read that they were provoked, and the sad part is I read, I read that they were provoked. Not I saw according to the New York Times, mm-hmm. according to the Atlantic Monthly. No, I just I read.
read somewhere. Oh, where in an email from the from Officer from, John Pike, uh, World Net Daily. <laughs> yes. That's always that's what's so nice about Fox News is they can make sure that they get every little tidbit of hearsay. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank God for the. the, the can you imagine what a, the Fox News court of law would be like? <laughs> and thank God for the First Amendment, Paul, because without it, Fox News could not go on and make stuff up every day. Yeah, I mean that's the important mm-hmm. thing, or they couldn't report things that they read somewhere. Yeah. Okay. We need to get them writing on some sitcoms out here because <laughs> the creativity that they show in coming up with yeah, dialogue. Some of the best fictional programming on television. And I'm sure you guys saw the the news piece about the uh, research that had been done uh, <laughs> where they polled people uh, about current events and people that watch Fox News are less informed than people that don't even read the newspaper. <laughs> yeah. That was uh, that- I was not aware of that poll because I watch Fox News. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Yes, that was uh, that was quite a poll. A, a couple of years in two thousand three or two thousand four, University of Virginia did a study on Fox News, and they found that of all the major, what they, their study was, they studied all the different news organizations: CNN, ABC, CBS, PBS, and Fox, MSNBC. And uh, the people who watched Fox were like three times more likely to have the major facts of the major stories of the day incorrect. Yeah, like they were wrong about did Saddam attack us on nine eleven? Mm. Did he have weapons of mass they thought the opposite of the facts on all these things oh sure sure so that so now a news survey comes out and not only are they less informed than the people who watch other news they're less informed than people who don't watch anything yeah don't watch any news Well, because that's what uh, so many times what fox's mission seems to be is to disinform not just not inform but to yeah. state the opposite of what the truth is This has been Oh My God. Oh My God! So let's talk about, uh, we're going to keep on the, on the, the, the theme of Occupy Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Because I was watching uh, Neil Cavuto, and, uh, who, who I love. And I don't want to turn it, you know, it's very easy to let the show turn into let's make fun of uh, Fox News. Because it's very easy. They're, they're, they, they give you nothing but straight but We line. only have an hour, unfortunately. We only have an hour. <laughs> it's very easy to do that. But I've got to say, for whatever reason, I was watching Neil Cavuto. Because I like his, his voice is so velvety. Mm. It really is. He likes, he does the whisper thing, mm. you know, that Pat Roberts. And it's, son does. it's dreamy. It really is. It, it gets me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I started watching. So here he is talking about he's he's against the violence that the police were using against mm-hmm. the protests, which I was shocked by. Mm-hmm. But his reasoning might be a little suspect. Here's why he says you shouldn't use violence on protesters. Reminder to those who disagree with those they find disagreeable: hear them, don't gas them. See, that's good. At first, I'm like, oh, yeah, wow, hear them, don't gas them, let them have their free speech, and be- because it's the right thing to do, Neil, and it's ethical, and it's what this country was based on. Let's see. Because every time you do, you see the advantage to them. Viewers who wonder whatever protesters are saying, is it worth shutting them up with pepper spray while they're peacefully sitting? Then you lose an argument when you force an argument or forcibly try and remove those arguing. It wins attention to a cause that would otherwise be ignored and makes the ones spraying and gassing the culprits in a battle of ideas that would otherwise be to their advantage. It is one thing when protests turn violent. That the world can see. It is quite another when they do not, but you respond with violence because that the world can see too. And I tell you, they remember that a lot more. 
Okay, now you have to read between the lines there, but yes, Neil Cavuto is still being a douchebag. <laughs> you have. To- oh yeah. Well, he's. I, I love that it was like. Uh, you know, I mean, this whole thing, it, it turns the people gassing into the bad guys. <laughs> right. It makes them look bad. It makes oh, them look like the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. don't beat the protesters. Not because it's horrible and goes against everything we claim to believe in in America. It, it risks the 1% losing. Yes, yes. Don't beat them because we're going to lose the support of the people we can usually trick into supporting us. Yes. That's what he's really saying. That right. he's a, And we've made that mistake before, like when police overreacted with fire hoses and guns. And the result was people got to vote and go to college. <laughs> so let's make sure nothing that, like that yes. ever happens yes. again. And yeah, you know, and I, I'm with Neil on that because in a battle of ideas, I'm always going to pick the cops. I'm always <laughs> right. Isn't that's basically what he's saying? Don't your ideas are better. Your ideas are better. So remember, the goal is always to ignore the people protesting unless they're protesting against Obamacare. That's right. Mm-hmm. By the, what the message I really liked in there was: uh, don't gas them because then we, as a news station, have to cover it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I bet that's it. If we don't, uh, yes. If, if you otherwise, don't, it's obvious that right. we're skewed because right. there's no way in good conscience, what little conscience we have, there's no way that we can not show this or not cover it. Then yeah. it's too obvious. We can ignore it just right. as long as you don't let the dogs out. Just. Yeah. Uh, that that is amazing, right? That that, that and and that you know I caught a little bit out of that just to shorten it up so we didn't play the whole thing. But at no point did he ever say. And by the way, it's horrible to do this to peaceful protesters because mm. it's not what we do in America. And these are just students protesting for lower tuition because they can't go to college <laughs> anymore. So at no point it's all about these. Don't let them think that they're not animals. Mm-hmm. Don't let them think that they don't deserve this. It's all. It was all about that. Which at no, at, so I just want people who are listening not to think that I'm skewing anything. Okay, well, Fox, well, no, no, no. Fox in general with Hannity and Bill O'Reilly and Megyn Kelly, and they've all come out on the side of the of the police in this. Yes, they have all come out on that. Yeah. What, what, and I, I feel like I have the right to be able to say this because I was raised Catholic. But there is something in the in the gene. In certain Catholics, that they really love the idea of punishing people that don't agree with them, mm-hmm. and b- because I mean Kelly, Hannity, O'Reilly. Well, st- you know, it's 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 kind of it's well, ironically, because it's that kind of a mentality is, is beaten into you. Yeah. <laughs> As a kid, you know, I grew up Catholic, and I don't know if it's Catholics or it's just kind of fundamental religions in general or whatever, but they make you think that um, you're, you're, well, the whole thing is you're. If you question tradition, your violence is meted out. You're bad. You come from sin, so you're born bad. So you're a bad person, so you deserve punishment to start with. But here in Hollywood, they don't believe in original sin because they don't believe in originality. The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. 
by myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. USA, we're number one. Oh, wait, Iceland is number one. But we did beat out Poland and Slovakia, right? Uh, no. But go on down the rankings and there we are, number 27, fifth from the bottom. So our new national chant is USA, at least we're not last. A foundation in Germany has analyzed the social justice records of all 31 members of the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, ranking each nation in such categories as health care, income inequality, preschool education, and child poverty rate. The overall performance by the U.S., which boasts of being an egalitarian society, outranks only Greece, Chile, Mexico, and Turkey. Actually, even three of those countries performed better than ours in the education of preschoolers, and Greece did better than the U.S. on the prevention of poverty. Being at the bottom of the heap in social justice confirms the reality of both economic and political inequality that the Occupy Wall Street movement is protesting. It also helps explain why Occupy's grassroots uprising in America has spread so rapidly to more than 600 communities and has generated such broad public support. After all, our nation is fabulously rich, ranking well ahead of nearly all OECD members in national wealth, so there's no excuse for us sitting at the bottom of the list in education, health care, poverty, and other measures of a democratic and egalitarian society. This is Jim Hightower saying, bluntly put, we the people have let today's elites abandon America's founding principles of fairness, justice, and equal opportunity for all. These privileged few have purchased our government, stolen the wealth and economic future of working families, and reduced America to a plastic imitation of the country we thought we had. The Occupy Rebellion is overdue. Join it. give you a sense of why I think it is a lesser of two evils and why I am disgruntled with President Obama, let's go to clip eight. I can't, as President of the United States, uh, comment on the decisions about particular prosecutions. That's the job of the Justice Department, and we keep those things separate so that there's no political influence on decisions made by professional prosecutors. Uh, I can tell you just from uh, 40,000 feet that some of the most damaging behavior on Wall Street, in some cases some of the least ethical behavior on Wall Street, wasn't illegal. That's exactly why we had to change the laws. And that's why we put in place the toughest financial reform package since FDR and the Great Depression. 
That is so wrong on so many levels. Oh, what they did wasn't illegal. I mean, I don't tell the Justice Department what to do. It's just a wild coincidence that they have prosecuted almost no one among the top banks who happened to be, in a wild coincidence, some of my top donors in 2008. Goldman Sachs, in fact, was his number one donor. These are all wild coincidences. But when he actually says, hey, you know what, uh, they did nothing illegal, well, that just isn't true. Countrywide uh, said in internal emails, Angelo Mazzillo, the head of the company, said, why are we selling this stuff? This stuff is toxic. This Boy, we better dump this stuff. Get rid of it, right? Oh, it's garbage, right? Meanwhile, he tells people out in public, oh, it's fantastic. We're in great shape. Uh, you should definitely buy this thing that we're selling. It's fantastic. Well, that's illegal. That's fraud. It's, I mean, it's fraud 101. Same thing with uh, Goldman Sachs. It, you know, Carl Levin, senator from Michigan, exposed them. You know, where they write in their internal memos, this is garbage. I can't wait to bet against it. Then they turn around and bet against their own clients. This is fraud 101. For President Obama to come out here and say, oh, golly gee, Willikers, there's nothing I can do about the banks because what they did wasn't illegal. Uh, it is a best case scenario. In incredibly wrong assessment of what happened. I'm afraid it's not just the wrong assessment. He wants to get to the wrong assessment because he, you know, for many of the reasons that we've explained on this show, wants to maintain the establishment exactly as it is. And it's incredibly frustrating. What did he say there at the end again? Jesus, can you play the very end of that clip? Because uh, it wasn't just that it, it couldn't be prosecuted. I wanted to touch on one other thing there. We had to change the laws. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's why we put in place the toughest uh, financial reform package since FDR and the Great Depression. Uh, come on, come on, come on, come on, historic reform, come on. You, you, you've heard me go through this before. They didn't touch anything on derivatives, basically. Uh, they can still do the derivatives trading. They don't even have to list most of it. Uh, they didn't break up the big banks. They can still gamble with depositors' money. Histor they just call it historic reform. It drives me crazy. Uh, so don't believe the hype. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able. As anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as five $5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. The Holy Trinity, the very mysterious, very sophisticated notion, unaccountably believed and accepted by people who have absolutely no idea how to explain it, that God is not just the Father, 
not just the father and the son, but actually the father and the son, and also something called the Holy Spirit. For such was named Trinity Church, which is situated a block south of Zuccotti Park, right at the lip of Wall Street. The most important fact right now for Trinity Church isn't a trinity at all, but a duality. That is, Trinity is not only a powerful, active parish church in the Episcopal Diocese of New York, but also something a little less Christy. Here's Eric Jackson, community minister at Judson Memorial Church, to explain. The Trinity is also the third largest real estate holder in New York City. And within Trinity Church, you have a lot of people who identify, who are, who are also part, who are also identified with larger corporate structures in the world today. So I think Trinity Church should be the church that that it, that is claims to be, and not identify with the corporate enterprise. And do Occupy it. Wall Street has been having better luck with churches recently than real estate corporations. Brookfield Properties recently having ordered the occupiers violent eviction and dispossession and supervision by private security guards and barricading in while they protest in the cold. And the situation with Trinity is not much better. Among Trinity's properties is the one Occupy Wall Street is after. Here's occupier Laura with the description. Access to a site at 6th Avenue and Canal Street. We chose that site because it's high visibility. It's right by the Holland Tunnel. It's Trinity owned. It's been slated to uh, become a high-rise residential tower, but the zoning hasn't been finished yet. And the zoning hasn't even gone through Community Board 2, which is the Community Board District in that area. And that's not going to happen until at least, it, at the earliest, October of next year. So we're saying... This site has stood vacant for two years. It's probably going to stand vacant for another year. We could use this. The whole community could use this better. In the book of Matthew, chapter 21, Christ the King returns to Jerusalem on a donkey to discover that the temple has been overrun by bankers and retailers, such as they were in the economy of Palestine under Roman imperial rule. Seeing this, Jesus smashes all their shit and kicks them out of the place, shouting about a den of thieves, which he stole from Regina Spector. The parable raises a question for Trinity Church. Are you the temple or the capitalist? The church or the corporation? And as a follow-up question, Trinity, if the Nazarene carpenter were to behold your iniquities, what would Jesus do? I am unlikely to offend many citizen radio maniacs by accusing religious tradition of promoting repression, especially of women and homosexuals, but also of anyone championing the values of the Enlightenment, intellect, reason, culture, free inquiry, free expression, and the retention of human rights. There is, though, a different religious tradition, from the liberation theologists in Latin America to the Baptist churches across the American South, where revolution was preached against racial subordination during the Civil Rights Movement. This tradition of refusing, on religious grounds, to participate in the mechanisms of one's own repression is couched in a different biblical trinity, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three Jewish boys whose story is told in the early chapters of the book of Daniel. They were in Babylon when Jerusalem was under occupation. <coughs> 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 Sorry, when Jerusalem was under occupation. 
by Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonians. In the royal court, the boys cited religious grounds in refusing to recognize the authority of the Babylonian king, and their defiance earned them a one-way ticket to a fiery furnace, there to be executed. But don't worry, this isn't like real life, where that actually has happened to a lot of people. It's a fairy tale, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were all saved by an angel. The point, though, is the defiance of repression, even at great personal risk. Occupy Wall Street, as of today, has its own trinity of self-sacrificing dissidents. Diego Ibanez, 23, Shea Willis, 22, and Brian Udall, 18, all of whom drove here from Utah. Today, they announced that they would embark on a hunger strike, a form of protest with deep roots in religious communities throughout history, and they will continue this hunger strike until Trinity Church grants Occupy Wall Street use of the lot. Here's Brian on why he's doing this. Like, this protest has been going on for two and a half months, and the protest was the fact, like, our occupations, like, those were the protests, and we were, like, building dialogue in the United States and around the world. And so, the fact that we've been evicted from all these, um, like, that's taken away the, our form of protesting. And so, we are in dire straits. We don't have, a, a, like, the way we were protesting is gone right now. And so, we're resorting to uh, kind of a serious action because there's a, been a serious action against us. Um, and so, we're, we're, we're going to be doing this, and then we're going to be calling on uh, all the occupations that have been evicted to hunger strike for their own occupation. And hopefully, this will cause... Um, just like a, a, a reigniting of the movement. And here's Diego. Um, so we're doing the hunger strike uh, to plead for political sanctuary from Trinity. Um, they, we, we want Trinity to make its mind, make up its mind to decide whether it's a church or a real estate corporation, right? And... Um, we believe that space is a crucial and essential part of um, freedom of expression and for our movement to survive, and this is why we need space. And um, we definitely think it's important enough to put our bodies on the line. Uh, we're going to ask people to join us eventually. Shay is quiet and declines to comment. It's a bitter cold morning in Zuccotti Park, but the guys have a lot of support from people of faith. The event at which this announcement is made serves not only as a launch for Title, a new journal of Occupy Theory and Strategy, but also an injunction from the city's religious leaders that Trinity give over use of the space. Some of the religious leaders here might have beef with Trinity for less noble reasons, but today they come together for the cause. Some of the clergy in attendance, like Reverend William Grant, pastor of Tribeca Spiritual Center and co-chair of the Lower Manhattan Clergy Council, are aware that the occasional Occupy Wall Street protester might harbor a certain suspicion of religion and religious leaders. In my mind, it's fundamentally a question of power. And the, the powerful are very smart. They use all the instruments of society for repression. And a religious organization has often been used as a tool of repression. Uh, economics is used as a tool of repression. Gender and role stereotyping, all these things are used by power to, to oppress. Uh, it's important for all of us who have an interior life, no matter how you might describe yourself, to use the power of that interiority in a transformative way. 
to say that uh, we do not accept oppression and we, are, we ourselves are not oppressors. We are transformers in the power of the spirit to remake this world in sacred image. And we can make that statement from a variety of points of view, no matter what our label is, because there is so much that we share in common. And I think what we try to do is to affirm our common humanity. As spiritual people, we see this, uh, see that commonality uh, undergirded by a powerful spiritual expression. And we use all of our imagery, uh, all of our history, which is rich in solidarity with uh, social movements of, of this kind. We use all of this to be a transformative fo force. In, from my point of view, remaking this earth in the spirit of the Eden that it once was. Using the people's mic, here's Bishop George Packard, chief chaplain of the Episcopal Church, which is Trinity's denomination. This park still roars with the dust of 9-11. This park still roars with the dust of 9-11. Yet it softens as our restored sweet home. Yet it softens as our restored sweet home. The birthplace of a movement. The birthplace of a movement. Next to me is a building where. Next to me is a building where. The Federalist Papers were written. The Federalist Papers were written. Our nation can trace roots right here. Our nation can trace roots right here. And so it is in God's mystery. And so it is in God's mystery. That our movement began here. That our movement began here. In the hot days of July. In the hot days of July. Quietly. Quietly. Slowly. Slowly. Building. Building. Swelling. Swelling. Beyond the bounds of this dear park. Beyond the bounds of this dear park. And around the world. And around the world. History continues. History continues. There will be justice. There will be justice. And equity for all. And equity for all. Not a few will have fairness in their lives. Not a few will have fairness in their lives. But all. But all. All means all. All means all. Here's Chris Hedges, Occupy Movement hero, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, author of Death of the Liberal Class and War is a Force that Gives Us Meaning, and, less famously, a Master of Divinity, which sounds to me like wizard, which in Chris Hedges' case, I sort of get. Right. Where were you when they crucified my Lord? Where, Where were, were you when they crucified my Lord? Were you there to halt the genocide of Native Americans? Were you, Were you there, there to halt the genocide of Native Americans? Were you there when they crucified Sitting Bull? Were you there when they crucified Sitting Bull? Were you there to halt the enslavement of African Americans? Were you there to halt the enslavement of African Americans? Were you there to halt the dogs? To halt the dogs as they were unleashed on civil rights marchers in Birmingham. And they were unleashed on civil rights marchers in Birmingham. Were you there when they crucified Martin Luther King and Malcolm X? Were you there when they crucified Malcolm X and Malcolm X? Were you there to halt the hate crimes, the discrimination and violence? Were you there to halt the hate crimes, discrimination and violence? Against gays, lesbians, bisexuals, and those who are transgender. Against gays, lesbians, bisexuals, and those who are transgender. Were you there when they crucified Matthew Shepard? Were you there when they crucified Matthew Shepard? 
Were you ha there to halt the abuse and even slavery of workers in the farmlands in this country? Were you there to halt the abuse Were you there to halt our wars in Iraq and Afghanistan? Were you there to halt our wars in Iraq and Afghanistan? And Israel's saturation bombing of Lebanon and Gaza? And Israel's saturation bombing of Lebanon and Gaza? Were you there when they crucified Rachel Corey? Were you there when they crucified Rachel Corey? Were you there to halt the corporate forces? Were you there to halt the corporate forces that have left working men and women in this country? That have left working men and women in this country. Bereft of a sustainable income, hope, and dignity. Bereft of a sustainable income, hope, and dignity. Were you there in Liberty Square? Were you there in Liberty Square? To share your food with your neighbor. To share your food with your neighbor. Were you there to become homeless with them? Were you there to become homeless with them? Where were you when they crucified my Lord? Where were you when they crucified my Lord? I know where I was. I know where I was. Here. Here. With you. With you. I sure hope Trinity gives up the space. It's a wonderful idea. It helped the movement, and it would liberate the Utah Three from their desperation. I hope pressure from the rest of New York's religious community does the trick. But I have to say, listening even to admirable commentators like Chris Hedges speak in religious terms is enough to set my teeth on edge, because the supernatural dimension is an illusion, and it feels wrong to talk about real things via their correspondence to illusions. It puts one in mind of the words of a certain German Jew, his thoughts on self-liberation, about occupying one's own mind, and that by way of abolishing class dominance. The call, he wrote in 1844, to abandon their illusions about their condition is a call to abandon a condition which requires illusions. Because I've always wanted to say something like this. J.A. Meyerson, Citizen Radio, New York City. <laughs> Last night I had a dream we were inseparably entwined Like a piece of rope made out of two pieces of wine Held together holding each other with no one else in mind Like two atoms in a molecule inseparably combined Tragic event, I must admit, but let's not be overblown I'm not trying to write a love song, that's a sympathetic moan And maybe I just need a change, maybe I just need a new cologne Well, it was quite a year, wasn't it? It was the year of the global uprising, which started in Tunisia and quickly spread to Egypt and then to Libya, Syria, Yemen, and Bahrain. If you told anyone at the beginning of the year that Gaddafi and Mubarak were overthrown by their own people, no one would have believed you. It was one of those years when history came alive, when people were no longer the objects of history, but its agents. That was invigoratingly true in Wisconsin, where we saw the largest sustained mass protests for public sector workers in the history of the United States. And it was also true around the country with the astonishing and promising rise of the Occupy Wall Street movement. The year is ending as it began with another surprising mass protest, this time in Russia, against Vladimir Putin. There's something infectious in the best sense about seeing people exercising their human right to seek redress of grievances. When people do it, even in the most repressive countries, it tells people in less repressive ones to get out there in the streets. And that was a lesson for all of us. I'm Matt Rothschild, 
And that's how I see it. Steve Justino is with us. He is the he is an attorney and he is the co-chair of Move to Amend um, and the MTA National Action Coordinator. Move to Amend.org is the website. And just a quick announcement here, uh, Move to Amend, where Occupy the Courts is the, this next effort. Uh, Tom Hartman, that's me, and Dr. Cornell West are going to be featured speakers in front of the U.S. Supreme Court on the 20th of this month of this month on January 20th as part of a national day of action to occupy the courts and Steve has more information on that Steve welcome to the program thank you very much Tom uh, first of all I just wanted to say what an honor it is to be on your show uh, like a lot of people involved in this fight to end corporate personhood I first learned about it by reading unequal protection and it's a book that I just strongly recommend to anybody who's interested in how corporations became people under the Constitution in the thank, first place. thank you Steve by the way I, I've just been uh, I, I misspoke I didn't I didn't it's not the 20th of this month it's the 20th of January so it's Cor the 20th correct. of next month my, my correct and, and then I'm co-chair of Colorado move to amend and I'm okay. the national action coordinator for occupy the courts okay and uh, thank you so much for agreeing to uh, to speak for us in front of the Supreme Court on January 20, 2012. Uh, your listeners probably know that that is the day before the anniversary of the Citizens United versus uh, Federal Election Commission case, the second anniversary, and Move to Amend is organizing a nationwide day of protest in front of federal courts across the country to express our outrage over Citizens United and the concept of corporate personhood. And that uh, action will include the Supreme Court. And right now, Tom, there are 46 other cities across the country that have committed to having some sort of an action in front of the federal court in their city or town. So That's it's, great. Just, it's growing exponentially. That's great. And if you want to find out if it's in your city and show up, or if it's not happening in your city, um, in the federal courts in your where you may live, go to move to amend.org and you can get all the information there, right, Steve? Absolutely. Move to amend.org slash occupy the courts will take uh, your listeners to our national interactive map. We'll show you where the 46 cities are. And if there's not one in your town, your city, by all means, organize one. There are only 100 federal courts in the United States, including the Supreme Court, including the Courts of Appeals. We're almost in front of half of them now. I would love to see us in front of 50 or 60 courts, if not all of them, by, uh, by January 20th. That is spectacular. That is spectacular. Steve, thank you very much for the heads up and for the great work that you're doing at movetoamend.org slash occupy the courts, right? Yes. And and uh, and please keep it up. Thanks for dropping thank you so by much, today. Tom.
the American people uh, are onto the games that Wall Street and Washington are playing. So when they asked in a recent Pew Research Center study, um, what percentage of people believe that too much power rests in the hands of large corporations and a few wealthy people in this country? 77% of Americans said, absolutely, too much power in corporations and the wealthy. So uh, the idea that the Republicans are going around saying, they're, oh, no, 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 the American people realize these are job creators. No, the American people realize they've got all the power and they're abusing it. More uh, statistics here. 61% of respondents said that the U.S. economic system unfairly favors the rich. Not just they have too much money, but the system unfairly favors the rich. 61%, that is a solid majority. And even 51%, a majority of the country said that Wall Street hurts the economy more than they help the economy. These are not good numbers for Wall Street. The American people are on to you. And um, it gets worse. This is actually a, a depressing part of the study. Do you still believe the American dream is possible? Now, whenever people are asked that, and they've been asked by Pew since 1994 that question, they usually have an answer of like, yeah, you know, we got troubles, the economy's in bad shape, the rich have too much power, but we still believe in the American dream. Well, that's still true. 58% of Americans think that if you work hard, you could make it in America. But we have a new record high for the number of people who say it is just simply not true. 40% of Americans saying the American dream is not possible. No matter how hard you work, the rules are set against you, rigged against you, and you can't make it. I actually don't believe that that is true, but it gives you an indication of how upset people are, how despondent people are. And, and don't get me wrong, I definitely agree with them that the rules are rigged against them. It's just a matter of can you overcome that and how can we fix those rules so that the, we get our democracy back. And then uh, finally, though, this was an interesting stat. When asked, do you agree with Occupy Wall Street? Now, look, 77% of them agree with the central idea of Occupy Wall Street. But when you ask them specifically, do you agree with Occupy Wall Street? It's still a yes, but it's not 77%. Uh, 44% say yes, they support Occupy Wall Street. 35% say that they oppose it. Now, those are actually pretty good numbers, 44 to 35, much better than the Tea Party numbers uh, across the country. But given that they agree totally with the central premise of Occupy Wall Street, they should be even higher if they knew uh, you know, what that movement represented. But the part that disturbs me is 29% said that they approved of the way the protests were conducted, but a huge 49% said that they opposed the movement's strategies. Now that bothers me because basically they've bought into the hype of like, hey, you know what, I, I get what they're saying, so that's good, but oh, they shouldn't be doing it this way. The protests, they're so wrong. Oh, they, there's hippies, and then there's the confrontation with the cops, and Fox News is blaring, and then the CNN picks it up, and then all the other news stations pick it up. Confrontation with the cops, as if they're the ones who caused it. They're sitting there doing their First Amendment right. The cops come and do the raids, pepper spray, etc., and then they get blamed for it, 49% saying they're using the wrong tactics. But what tactics do you want them to use? If they politely said, hey, you know what, the rich are screwing you, and they said it in their basement, you wouldn't have heard it. You wouldn't know about the Occupy movement. There is no polite way of saying this. In fact, they're doing it as polite as possible. It's civil disobedience. It's not even disobedience. They're the ones following the law. They're the ones that are exercising their First Amendment rights, just like in the civil rights era. Martin Luther King said, hey, look, the, courts, the Supreme Court has ruled in our favor. We do have these rights, whether it's to march, whether it's to insist on our civil rights in the South, it's the local police that are uh, breaking the law. He was absolutely right about that as well. But of course, 
you know, in the end, you know, with all this propaganda against them, people go, oh, well, I don't like the way they're doing it. No, don't believe the hype, man. They're doing it in a perfectly acceptable, in a tradition that is deeply American. They're protesting it and bringing attention to it. That's why you found out about it. And, and remember, you totally agree with them, meaning in general, the American people. So I, I don't have, I hardly have any problem with how they're doing it. Of course, as a giant organization, some people do the wrong things, but it's not even an organization. But overall, I think the movement has been fantastic. And I think that uh, you should not only support the movement and the ideas behind it, but also the manner in which they are risking their safety at times and their careers by getting arrested, etc., by pushing this fight. When you like, and so you can sit at home and say, nod your head, and I agree, while they're out doing the fight. If anything, you should be honestly thanking them for that. And then when I was at Zuccotti Park, I was amazed at how tough those guys were. You go sleep on a concrete on, in, in New York in the fall when it gets cold, and you do it night after night, I challenge you to do it one night, let alone for months. So I appreciate their fight, and I appreciate the way that they're doing it. and. Um, and their message is at least absolutely winning across the country. So hold nice and close once you get to your soul So that when it is cold you won't feel so alone Cause the roads that you take may just crack and break With the changes you will confirm And with each gift that you share You may heal and repair With each choice you make You may help someone stay Well I know you are strong May your journey be long enough Wish you the best of luck Well, I know you are strong May your journey be long And now I wish you the best of luck You know some people They just won't understand They just won't understand these things In 2004, a man named Barack Obama Was nowhere near running for president of the United States He was a state senator from Illinois Who was just running for a U.S. Senate seat but way back then, in July 2004, people across the country started talking about Barack Obama as a potential future presidential candidate. And it was because of this speech. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. There is not a black America and a white America and Latino America and Asian America. There's the United States of America. The pundits, the pundits like to slice and dice our country into red states and blue states, red states for Republicans, blue states for Democrats. But I've got news for them, too. We worship an awesome God in the blue states, and we don't like federal agents poking around in our libraries in the red states. We coach Little League in the blue states, and yes, we've got some gay friends in the red states. There are patriots who oppose the war in Iraq, and there are patriots who supported the war in Iraq. We are one people, all of us pledging allegiance to the Stars and Stripes, all of us defending the United States of America. Barack Obama speaking at the 2004 Democratic National Convention, which nominated John Kerry, who lost to George W. Bush. Now, more than seven years later, with the Republican Party locked in its own 
alternately hilarious and intense race for a presidential candidate to run against him. Today, I think for the first time, now President Obama spoke in a way that brought back that 2004 speech, that United States of America speech that made the democratic political world sit up and take his measure when he was still just a state senator from Illinois. But to go back to 2004 today, President Obama went back even further. He went 101 years back to 1910, when Republican Teddy Roosevelt gave his famously progressive new nationalism speech in Osawatomie, Kansas. Osawatomie, Kansas is the same city where President Obama spoke today, giving a, frankly, what was a barn burner of a populist speech that if this is going to be the template for his reelection effort, this is once again going to make the democratic political world sit up and take notice. This is not just another political debate. This is the defining issue of our time. This is a make or break moment for the middle class and for all those who are fighting to get into the middle class. Because What's at stake is whether this will be a country where working people can earn enough to raise a family, build a modest savings, own a home, secure their retirement. Now, in the midst of this debate, there are some who seem to be suffering from a kind of collective amnesia. After all that's happened, after the worst economic crisis, the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression, they want to return to the same practices that got us into this mess. In fact, they want to go back to the same policies that stacked the deck against middle-class Americans for way too many years. And their philosophy is simple. We are better off when everybody is left to fend for themselves and play by their own rules. I am here to say they are wrong. And in 1910, Teddy Roosevelt came here to Osawatomie, and he laid out his vision for what he called a new nationalism. Our country, he said, means nothing unless it means the triumph of a real democracy, of an economic system under which each man shall be guaranteed the opportunity to show the best that there is in him. Now for this, Roosevelt was called a radical. He was called a socialist. Even a communist. But today, we are a richer nation and a stronger democracy because of what he fought for in his last campaign. An eight-hour workday and a minimum wage for women. Insurance for the unemployed and for the elderly and those with disabilities. Political reform and a progressive income tax. I'm here in Kansas to reaffirm my deep conviction that we're greater together than we are on our own. I believe that this country succeeds when everyone gets a fair shot. 
when everyone does their fair share, when everyone plays by the same rules. These aren't Democratic values or Republican values. These aren't 1% values or 99% values. They're American values, and we have to reclaim them. The president today harking back to that 2004 awesome God in the blue states, one United States of America speech, which put him on the national map for the first time in that summer convention speech when John Kerry was being nominated. President Obama, in giving the speech today and probably providing a preview of what his campaign is going to be like, is sort of calling a Republican bluff in some ways. The guy he is giving a shout out to here is Teddy Roosevelt, of course, a Republican. Uh, Newt Gingrich, the current Republican frontrunner for the Republican presidential nomination, likes to call himself a Teddy Roosevelt Republican. And as President Obama pointed out today, Teddy Roosevelt's agenda would be derided as communist in the current political climate, even if no one would be demanding to see his birth certificate. When Teddy Roosevelt went to Kansas in 1910, he went there to say that just as the special interests of cotton and slavery had threatened the nation's integrity before the Civil War... So now the great special business interests too often control and corrupt the men and methods of government for their own profit. He said, we must drive the special interests out of politics. Roosevelt said in that speech that day that the Constitution does not give the right of suffrage to any corporation. The citizens of the United States must, effect, must effectively control the mighty commercial forces which they have called into being. He said laws should be passed to prohibit the use of corporate funds directly or indirectly for political purposes. Corporate expenditures, he said, corporate expenditures for political purposes have supplied one of the principal sources of corruption in our political affairs. In 1910, Teddy Roosevelt was making essentially an anti-Citizens United speech. I mean, and this is the speech, as you heard President say, he called for an income tax, he called, he called for an estate tax, an inheritance tax, he called for an investigation into the financial system to stop financial panics. And Teddy Roosevelt was actually called a socialist for saying all that. If our political institutions were perfect, he said, they would absolutely prevent the political domination of money in any part of our affairs. Of course they called him a communist for that. Teddy Roosevelt, a Republican president, gave that speech in 1910, about a year after leaving the White House. President Obama reiterated those populist themes today. There's no tape of Roosevelt's Kansas speech. Give me a break, it was 1910. But if you want to imagine Teddy Roosevelt giving that speech today, if you want to imagine what it would sound like to hear it today, you might want to imagine it being given with the aid of a people's mic. Hey, Jay, it's Jeff, the socialist policeman from South Florida. Uh, I really appreciate you, uh, how much feedback my voicemail got uh, on Wall Street. Uh, I think it's wonderful. I really didn't expect people to even react favorably to it, so I'm glad that uh, people did. So this call is actually in response to the NPR segment about uh, the Republican debates. I'm so frustrated with NPR. I don't, yeah, sometimes they have good content, but when they talk about 
the Republican debates are a good thing because all these candidates got to put all of their opinions out there. We got to learn about them without them having to spend any campaign cash. So I guess all this campaign money they raised doesn't really matter, except for the fact that campaign campaign coffers were the qualifying. Uh, you had to have a certain amount of money to actually get into these debates. There was actually how much money have you raised last month? Okay, you can be in our debate, which is exactly why Buddy Romer wasn't in there, and he has two percent approval rating in polls. But yet you have John Huntsman, who has one percent, which I'm sure I probably heard from your podcast earlier. But anyway, I hate NPR. That's all I got. Thanks, man. Hi, Jay. It's Doug in Chicagoland. I just wanted to call and uh, tell you that uh, your show on the War on Christmas was most excellent. I uh, I really enjoyed it. And I only have one thing to say, and uh, it goes out to Bill Donahue and Bill O'Reilly. Happy holidays. Hey, Jay, this is Jeff, the Socialist South Florida Policeman. It slipped my mind to uh, call in about the uh, commutation of Maria's death sentence to life in prison. For what it's worth, I really don't mind if he spends life in prison. I think that's more appropriate. Studies have shown, I mean, the death sentence isn't swift, it's not sure, it's not a deterrent in any way, shape, or form. So it's just our government killing its subjects, sometimes in the wrong. Somebody spends their life in prison, there's a much greater chance that if they're found to be not the right guy, that he can be set free. Not the case if you execute somebody. But uh, I guess, suppose if you're a Republican, that doesn't really bother you. At any rate, I still think that he's an awful person. He should spend the rest of his life in prison for what he did. Perhaps if he killed a 1970s version of a, a consumerism advocate and podcast generators, should such a thing have existed in the 70s, uh, you might feel a little bit differently about him. I mean, I can imagine this man standing over me and shooting me in the face the way he did Danny Faulkner. But that's my opinion. So uh, that's why I think Lumia should spend the rest of his life in prison and not be executed. I don't think anybody in this country should be executed. It's not a foolproof way of solving any of society's problems. And it's it's got more problems than it's worth. It costs more for us to even execute somebody than it does to keep them alive in, in prison for life. So that's my two cents. Anyway, keep up the good work. Thanks, man. Bye. Hey, Jay. My name is Jacoby. I'm calling you from Honolulu, Hawaii. And I've been listening to the show for about two months. Love everything that you're doing. I heard it on a call once, but I'd like to restate if it would be possible to hear some more African-American voices, maybe some clips from either the Michael Eric Dyson show or Smiley and West, I think are both great voices and would be a benefit for your listeners to hear. Also, if it would be possible, a show on white privilege would be very interesting to me. All right, thanks again, and uh, keep up the great work. Hi, everybody. This is Vicki from Oregon. I just wanted to comment about the Occupy Wall Street encampments. I actually kind of agree with Rachel Maddow that they've kind of run their course, and it's time for Occupy to actually play whack-a-mole and just be everywhere and stop the uh, confrontation. I think that the enemies of a well-organized army of militarized policemen have learned that um, you can't do open confrontation. You have to just pop up 
different places. I think the foreclosure actions are great. And many other places we can occupy, especially the media, the Congress, and all over the place. So let's do it and get over the old um, tent thing. Bye. Hey, big fan of the show. Just wanted to say you're doing a great job. I really appreciate it. Um, I overheard somebody talking about running for... Senate or Congress, and I was interested in how they were going to do that. I, I kind of wanted to know if they could keep a blog or something along those lines of how would you even get into something like that. Anyways, I was just kind of curious and thought it might be interesting to, to see how that progression goes, regardless of, of how he does and how the outcome ends up. So anyways, great job. Keep up the good work. Thanks a lot. Bye. Hello, Jay. It's Brian Ingram. I wanted to leave you a quick update for, uh, of what's happened since last time I've called you. Just to remind you, I'm, I'm a teacher-turned-U.S. House candidate in Fort Worth, Texas, up against Kay Granger. When I left my email address, uh, I want to let you know that the feedback and support has been phenomenal. I've gotten emails from as far away as Australia and even someone from Georgia willing to offer his printing design skills for my campaign materials. Of course, that's once I get on the ballot, I'm sure. Anyway, I dabbled in designing my first web page. My cousin-in-law has his own server, and he's offered to host my web page for free. So I'd like to give a little plug for my first web page on this whole uh, long track that I've started. The website is www.brianingram.org. Again, that's www.brianingram.org. B-R-I-A-N-I-N-G-R-A-M dot O-R-G. Thank you for this opportunity, and I'll call you every once in a while. Let's know how things are going. Take care. Love the show still. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So just a real quick note about today's episode. There was a clip today that was produced by J.A. Meyerson, specifically for Citizen Radio. Citizen Radio is a program many of you will be familiar with as having been featured on Best of the Left before. And uh, so I want to mention that they've been branching out in interesting ways in addition to starting a a little bit of a, a network of their own where they are helping to fund the production of new programs uh, they've also begun paying contributors to their show. So, you know, if you had checked out Citizen Radio before and, you know, but aren't uh, currently a listener, you might want to check them out again and, and see uh, the sorts of things that they're up to. Uh, the, the, you know, the clip that I got to play today was, you know, phenomenal and they were incredibly happy to, to have it. And, you know, and it was produced specifically for them and, and you know, they, they plan to continue that, uh, that tradition going forward. So that is definitely some exciting stuff coming out of uh, Citizen Radio. I, I do get emails on occasion asking why I don't provide more clips from them on this show. And uh, the way I described it to, uh, to Jamie, one of the hosts of, of Citizen Radio recently, was that, uh, you know, they, so they do like an hour-long show. And if I wanted to take a clip from, you know, minute 40 to minute 50 of their show, 
that 10 minutes would be so packed full of references to minutes 15 and minutes uh, you know 23 and 37 that uh, that it's it's really really difficult to get a, a nice solid clip that makes sense out of context it makes perfect sense in context and is usually you know really funny and enjoyable but out of context it's really hard so I described it to Jamie recently as saying that uh, you know trying to pull their content and separate it from their uh, you know witty banter and make it make sense is kind of like trying to separate steam from fog it's you know it's uh, a little bit of a lost cause so you know I, I, I pull clips from them when I can uh, but it's just tough so for those of you who uh, <laughs> have those sorts of sentiments about, uh, you know why I don't feature them more often that's that's really the only reason also I wanted to mention today my excitement about uh, Brian's congressional campaign that we heard about you know a listener called in saying he'd be interested in hearing uh, how it goes you know regardless of how well he does it'd just be an interesting thing to hear about and uh, I had the exact same sentiment so when when Brian got in touch with me a little while ago asking if it'd be okay for him to call back in and kind of promote his his website instead of of course not only should you do that but I think people will actually be interested in you know kind of keeping track with how it goes it, it'll it'll be an interesting thing to hear an insider's perspective on on what it's like to run for Congress and so that actually reminded me of uh, one of the best organizing ideas I've ever had and I will tell you all about that in the next episode if I don't forget to do I, I made a note so don't worry I'll, but I'll tell you about it in the next episode when I uh, I'll give myself more time uh, to to discuss that but it's it's honestly it's like one of the best ideas I've ever had and uh, and and Brian's campaign is going to be similar to my idea it's going to have the similar effect and, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about it so that's it for today. I'm just going to thank a couple of members before I go. As I always do, last members to be thanked of 2011. Henry K. signed up for a Leftist Monthly membership back on May 14th of 2011 and uh, left his monthly membership and has kept up with that uh, ever since then and has been supporting the show since then. And Philip B. signed up for a Socialist Yearly membership on June 26th of this year, uh, going a little bit above and beyond the minimum donation amount for membership. So huge thanks to Philip for doing that. Uh, so Philip, Henry, and all the members and donors who help keep this show going, I couldn't do it without you guys, as you know. Everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips you particularly like through your social networks or by email or however you like. It's incredibly easy to do through the show notes on the website. You can stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details about the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Bought a picture that wasn't right Bitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you wanna meet A dying man in a living room Who shadow bases the floor Who take you out